Thank you for joining us at Forecast International's Forecast Roundtable. This is Matthew Beers, Airborne Retrofit and Modernization Analyst. I'll be joined today by Derek Bisacchio, Middle East and Africa Analyst, Dan Darling, Lead Analyst for the Asia Pacific and European Regions, and Jim Head, Sales Manager for the Asia Pacific Region. Today's topic will be the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. The first thing that I, I wanted to bring up was you read a number of these news articles here, um, and, and they're referring to uh, Riyadh uh, as our ally. I just wanted to say, in fact, they are not one of our allies. They are a regional partner. So now that that's cleared up, we can that, that's continue. Been, that's, been, that's been killing you, I think. It's been killing me, so <laughs> I had to say it. Uh, now we'll move on to the, the meat of the matter here. Um, uh, journalist uh, Jamal Khashoggi's killing has prompted outrage in the U.S. and the EU, along with suggestions that Western countries might curtail arms sales to Riyadh over the killing. What should be made of these reports? So that's really been the big focus um, in looking at how the West is going to respond to the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. Right. Um, that's really been... The thing that everyone's been focusing on is arms sales. Um, the kingdom has gotten a lot of pressure on um, arms sales in the past, uh, mostly over its campaign in Yemen, uh, as well as uh, its domestic human rights situation. Um, but really, there's been a, a, a very concerted call in response to the killing of this journalist. Um, so far, only Germany has actually made anything of it. Several European countries already have cut off arms to Saudi. This is in the past. Germany's the only one that's done it. Um, in response to right. the killing of this journalist, right, um, and so, but there's been really a, a, a lot of attention on on that subject. I mean, usually when there's a, a big situation, the first topic is is sanctions in general, financial sanctions, economic sanctions. But that really hasn't been, other than um, some of the leaders in Congress, they really haven't been focusing on on the sanctions end of this, and it's really been on targeting um, arms in particular. Right. And I, I guess the big question is why? How does this fit into the bigger picture? Well, to begin with, uh, for the U.S., the, the arms sales are recycled petrodollars, so that's a, a significant um, revenue stream for the U.S. and for bolstering the U.S. Uh, defense industry. Um, as it pertains to Europe, there's a greater human rights concern. Right. Um, they're less about touting jobs and um, sustaining, sustaining their own domestic defense industries as uh, the Trump administration has been. Right. Their concern has largely been the campaign in Yemen. Um, and so there's greater reluctance in Europe where they tend to put values first over business as it pertains to the arms trade. They right. have a stronger left-leaning political faction in most of these countries that um, use that as a cudgel against their own domestic defense industries. Right. And then you have the opposite here, uh, where, where President Trump has really been reluctant to support the idea of canceling arms sales to Riyadh um, as a way to punish uh, Riyadh for Khashoggi's killing. Why is President Trump opposed to curbing these sales? 
so so there's really two two dimensions to it there's he's focused on the the jobs aspect and the the number he's given has constantly gone up and there's really no there's no way to quantify uh, how many jobs are directly related to it. But these are some big sales that the U.S. Has, has landed to Saudi Arabia and is lining up for the future. So there's no question that it's definitely very important for the uh, defense industry. Uh, but also, it's Saudi Arabia has really been a centerpiece of President Trump's policy in the Middle East just right. in general. Uh, every uh, policy direction that he's gone in with the Middle East has focused in some way or has included Saudi Arabia uh, especially, I think that the most important one would be in in his policy towards Iran. Right, and Jim, you you had your your hand raised over there. Yeah, I think it's um, probably just important to remember that past State Departments have jumped through hoops to have um, massive and substantial arms of the United States in Saudi Arabia. Right. Considering like two squadrons of F-15s, that it took them years to get the ability to base them there. Um, and then the, all the support mechanism that goes around that is Saudi, right? Um, right. And so there's, you know, there's an infrastructure merging there. Right. Yeah. Exactly. A lot of a lot of American operations throughout the region, a lot of Mar- American military operations throughout the region hinge in some way on um, access to Saudi Arabia, and definitely whatever it is that the U.S. is trying to accomplish in the region, it it helps if you have if you're in lockstep or as close to lockstep as you can get with Saudi Arabia. Uh, on the policy, because if you have, you know, independent streams attempting to, uh, you know, approach the, say, say Iran, for example, and if the U.S. and, and Saudi Arabia are on independent tracks on that, they're not going to get anywhere with it. Right. And, and that, uh, Dan, you're Well, I was going to say the other issue involved is um, none of this happens in a vacuum. Right. So if the U.S. and or the EU institute an arms sale ban on Saudi Arabia, right. someone else will fill the void. Um, right. That's, with all the um, infrastructure already in place, the Saudis are certainly more um, apt to purchase American-sourced or European-sourced hardware rather right. than go down the road of retooling their military um, for Russian or Chinese-sourced hardware. Nonetheless, it is an element that has to be taken into um, account. Oh, for sure. There's only a few options, and those are the options that we don't want. Exactly. Right, no. right. And it's influence. It's yeah. less the arms than the influence, whether that's an accurate take on arms trade. Do we overvalue them as a as a, um, an influential tool right. with I the foreign policy establishment or domestic policy-making establishments of the um, recipient nation. Nonetheless, it's, uh, it is something to take into account, particularly right. in that in the past, the Saudis have reached out to Russia for various potential arms sales as a means of using that to offset potential sales to Iran or to curry favor with Moscow. Right, and that's why it's crucial to continue the arms sale with Riyadh. It's it's a factor. It doesn't make it an absolute. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's I I wouldn't I I wouldn't uh, go on. Yeah. As, as Dan said, actually, I wouldn't go on as an as an absolute with that. Just because right. they have the option, for example, to buy it from from Russia doesn't mean right. you know. Then number one, they necessarily will be able to buy everything. They definitely won't. Um, they come to the U.S. because the U.S. has the the most uh, the broadest in its defense industry and what it can offer, and some of the most advanced systems 
right. in the world. And, and the U.S. military protects, you know, in another sense, a lot of the Saudi oil infrastructure, which is the entire you know, revenue source, pretty much everything for the Saudi economy. Right. So there are larger factors, particularly as it pertains to regional dynamics, um, Iran being on the other end of that dynamic. Who, right. are the, who are the regional powers that the U.S. has to curry favor with, um, use as a, a strategic partner, seek as a strategic partner? Well, I think you, you kind of hit it on the head when you when you look at the horse trading that would have to go on uh, and the value that you attach to arms sales of any substance to an, a kingdom, an enormous uh, revenue stream, potential revenue stream like Saudi Arabia versus the death of a journalist. I mean, there's no contest. Um, one is a news cycle. The other is a strategic imperative. Right. Well, and this is, exactly. I'm sure, exactly. not the first journalist <laughs> to be assassinated or right. disappeared by a regime such as Saudi Arabia any more than it would be in Iran. Right. It's the manner and the blatant disregard for his um, U.S. Yeah, for his his U.S. residency and that he, he right he, that he was writing for a major American publication, mm-hmm. and but yeah, that's a that's a great point, Jim. Is that is that really the United States is not looking for this to be uh, a response that will sever ties entirely with Saudi Arabia? I don't think that's in in either country's interest. And there's a big risk when you start tinkering with with arms sales in particular, because that is the most tangible way that a country defends itself is is arms. And when you start playing with its arms supply and start linking that to um, policies or decisions that are that are primarily I- intended to affect the domestic environment. Saudi Arabia went after that journalist primarily for uh, domestic reasons, whatever those may be. And when you start linking arms sales to that, that starts making uh, your allies a lot more uh, a lot a lot more wary of of you and the security relationship with your country, which. At this point, is not something the U.S. should really be jeopardizing, uh, wi- absent any any stronger rationale. It's a national right. security issue for the Saudis, and therefore, taking that away makes them feel vulnerable. Yeah, exactly, and, and it's a part as as the Trump administration rolls back the Iran nuclear agreement. It's it's a part of a nexus in that region that now would become destabilized in terms of U.S. policy making. Right. The, the idea that being that we could attach our values and right. mores and values to real politic, right. but real politic isn't necessarily liberal internationalist institutions. Right. It's going back in the direction of power, pure state competition, Mm-hmm. That never actually went away, but we went through right. pretty much all the years following the you know the fall of the Iron Curtain and the demise of the Soviet Union, believing in um, a globalized north, yeah, an ins- a, a liberal world order, right, um, which is obviously from American and European eyes and, and Japanese and Australian and other countries that are democracies, um, that would be the idealized world order but it isn't necessarily the real world situation. Right. Well, well, I can tell you, whatever 
the reason was behind this killing, I, I think certainly it's hurting Saudi Arabia more than they anticipated. If indeed they were behind it, if they're trying to expand their economy and gain uh, the they've confidence. Are, they've, they've confirmed that they were behind it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's obviously was a bad move for them, and that's going to hurt them here, um, at, at least in the short run, for their plan to expand their economy and gain that confidence. Right, and that's been, I mean, the biggest the biggest effect that we've seen from this is a lot of the uh, big banks, a lot of big um, investors all pulled out of the summit that actually opened um, just this week in, right. in Saudi Arabia. Uh, this was supposed to be the, uh, you know, big, big point for Mohammed bin Salman to kind of showcase um, not just his, his initiatives, his vision, but also like what they've already started working on and really line up uh, financing for some of these projects and they've right. definitely already been encountering speed bumps the uh, the oil com uh, corporation aramco was supposed to be uh that was supposed to go public this year and it's not going to right. and yeah. so this that was that was a big where, where saudi arabia has run into a lot of challenges is that was supposed to be uh how they diversified away from oil right. and then they a lot of the uh biggest fi uh, financers for this uh, diversification program have maybe not bailed on the kingdom entirely just yet, but they definitely don't want to be seen with the kingdom right now. Right. Yeah, this certainly isn't going to help that out. Right. Well. Right. Okay. So uh, moving on here and something I'm, I'm interested in uh, particularly is uh, what's the motive for Turkey here beyond domestic consumption? Um, I would posit that it's pushing for a larger influence in the Middle East region. Right. They have often, under this government, the, the Development and Justice Party right. um, of uh, President Erdogan, they have largely been Islamist-leaning in terms of right. secular versus, um, you know, uh, mosque so to speak inside right. turkey it's right. that's a dynamic unto itself it's a domestic dynamic right but under this government which came to power in 2002 and has slowly but surely accumulated more power um at the expense of, of certain freedoms of, of western norms western unquote, norms which right. was the kamalist form of government that used the army as a, a, a firewall between right. uh, state and mosque. Um, but this government, particularly around 2010 and 11, with the Gaza flotier inci incident, it has played to the Arab Spring. It right. has played to elements like the Muslim Brotherhood in um, Egypt. Right. And that goes against what the Saudis want. Um, right. Because they see that is creating um, dissension within. Right. And in uh, a teapot that is becoming a tempest in the Middle East, right. it's a dangerous hand that Turkey plays in the eyes of um, Egypt and right. the Saudis and the UAE, um, etc. So there is an element of using... Sunni Islam to uh, have a neo-Ottoman foreign policy. Right. Turkey as um, you know the former Ottoman Empire. Right. But also, is that the goal? Is that the goal I, to? I, I think it's a oh, it's a stretch, but it is 
you're looking at Turkey at a time they first had an incident with Russia and got into a spat with Russia right. and suffered economic blowback right. from sanctions from Putin's Russia. Right. And then you had the incident with uh, the pastor that um, the Trump administration uh, reacted uh, right. for, for domestic consumption with you know one wing of his constituency. And it's funny how that ended. Well, with the, this. The, the result was in Turkey hyperinflation, uh, declining lira, and a tumbling economic situation. Right. And the important thing to remember with the AKP party and Erdogan's government is that it rode the wave of economic reforms instituted before it won elections. Right. And those reforms coincided with a, a great economic expansion that redounded to its benefit, right. the AKP party. Right. And gradually over time, Erdogan was able to cement more and more power. Right. And after, I don't know, 70, 80 years of Kamalist approach with, right. the, with the army being very powerful and instituting, I believe it was four coups mm -hmm. in 20 years, yeah. um, suddenly he has essentially defanged the military yeah. and turned it into an arm of his own party. Right. And it is no longer – it's still an external force, but it's no mm -hmm. longer the internal force it once was. Right. So he's, he's powerful, but if the economy tumbles and continues to tumble, he's not unaware of the realities that that would diminish his power. Makes he's, sense. he's entrenched himself so much that, and he, uh, we all remember the coup attempt in, um, I believe it was July 2016. Right. Yep. So that's still fresh in his memory. I'm sure. Yeah. So he, despite aggrandizing a lot of power, he still feels uh, some vulnerability. Right. This is, a, this is a card he can play against the Saudis. Mm-hmm. But it's also a card he can use to a lesser degree with the United States. Right. So. Right, and especially, I mean, so so far, uh, Turkish media has really uh, played up the the fact that they've got video or they've got audio or what have you of uh, what happened to this journalist. But do they? Um, uh, supposedly, yeah, uh, Tur supposedly. Turkish Turkish government sources have been leaking like crazy to the to the media in a way that kind of seems like it's the Turkish government's strategy. But in any case, Erdogan has not uh, released it's, any it's of that. Yeah, he's not released any of those. Uh, uh, if, if they exist, he's not released any of that audio or video at all. Right. And so he's really put himself in a position where he can either keep pressing with this and he can keep making it as embarrassing as possible with um, for Saudi, or he can come to some kind of agreement with Saudi and with the United States as well that you know some of this stuff might be put on the back burner um, but wh wherever his angle is with that, what type of you know agreement, if you will, they could then you know they could then reach. I don't. He's going to get something really out of it. That. But he's definitely he's angling angling for something out of that. And I think yeah. I think that's a really good point that that Dan makes is centering this within the context of um, Turkey Saudi Arabia competition. This wasn't right. exactly something that Erdogan <laughs> saw coming, but once it happened, he's definitely maneuvered to take advantage of it. And he, I mean, he's really been, and Turkey's really been on uh, 
kind of on the losing side, if you will, right. um, against Saudi Arabia in recent years. Uh, Turkey gambled hard with uh, Mohamed Morsi in right. Egypt, and then he was overthrown the following year. Um, and then uh, Turkey's ally Qatar has been blockaded for since last year right. uh, by Saudi Arabia, by the UAE. And there's so some big problems. Yeah, and so this has really been a you know a big moment for him to really uh, to turn the tide against uh, against Saudi Arabia and against Saudi's uh, coalition in the region. And again, it goes back to the peer-on-peer, quote-unquote, power conflict. This is no longer a unified front in the face of one great foe. It's right. splintering this is chaos. along national lines. Absolute chaos and is what I it mean, is. Turkey is not following in the U.S. direction of sanctions on Iran. Turkey is going to purchase the Russian S-400 air defense missile system. Um, Turkey also wants the F-35. So there's a lot of different balls in the air. Right. And this just gave them a little bit of an opening. It seems... um, Took advantage of it. They did a good job. His hand a little bit. Right, right, or or wasn't anticipating what the what the fallout would be. He had an emotional be. reaction right. rather than a long-term strategic calculus. Right. All right. Good discussion. Thank you, everyone, for uh, joining us at a forecast roundtable. Uh, we'll see you next time.